Uh, when do we think it'll make sense to start an internal formal review on these three things? And maybe it makes sense to have two separate internal formal reviews, one for permits and one for tractor, but what are we thinking on timing? Totally. Yeah, I mean, all of the technology is completely useless without a proper middleware and GUI solution, which are going to be, you know, big, you know, drastic code projects. Um, you know, think going back to Div 29 and Pod Marketplace v2 and just kind of how that was, uh, you know, kind of needlessly pushed on chain and, you know, probably will never be used because, you know, the Pod Marketplace system will just go start using Tractor from the get-go. Um, you know, because Tractor allows people to place orders with deposits, place multiple orders on top of the same assets. Um, so, you know, th it, you know, think, I mean, it, it comes to, I, I guess it boils down to the question of, uh, you know, is, is the goal to kind of just push, push forward with this code or try to make sure that the full stack of code associated with this project is moving forward in tandem together? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, we don't have enough clarity on the middleware side of things to answer that right now. And so at least on this end, I'm comfortable not answering the question we posed a minute ago on when to start the internal review until we do have more clarity on the middleware front. So maybe we circle back on this front in a couple of weeks. I tend to think that for Tracker, those two will go more hand in hand than they have been going so far. So my suggestion as to a next step would be as a part of the review process, we should also be doing the, uh, a middleware design session more or less. Um, so I, I think that can start soon if we feel like Tractor is the next big uh, piece to move forward on, which I would, I would tend to agree. But uh, you know, my opinion is we should really nail wells and, and the pump first. Sounds great. Anything else on these three items? Do we are we comfortable leaving these three as farming automation or do we want to split it up? Yeah. Well I think it's sort of like if if Tractor ends up being its own facet, I feel like these can be part of the same BIP, I imagine, but otherwise this would be a- I'm like more a from like a review perspective. Do we accept them to be reviewed together or separately? There's, I mean, it's worth noting that there's no interdependencies between any of these code snippets. Um, you know, function approvals and Tractor are two completely you know, independent pieces of technology that have no dependency. So, you know, from the review perspective, and from the review perspective, the permit support for both of them should be taken within the context of existing permits. Um, you know, making sure that, you know, the deposit permit support is on parity with the pod permit support and the function permit support is, uh, you know, kind of, you know, and that they share a similar interface with, similar um you know internal storage you know pr uh you know measures and uh you know maybe grouping those three in the same faucet 
So, you know, perhaps scoping, uh, you know, pod permit, you know, the permits out separately and then the two kind of farming automation systems um, separately. So I agree, they're kind of all three different things that could be reviewed here, but I guess that, you know, it, it kind of depends on were they being able to be reviewed by three different people simultaneously or is it ultimately kind of everyone's going to have to review everything. So de-scoping them in a separate context doesn't really get, get us anywhere. So with that in mind, I feel like tractors should probably be separated from the other two, but it, it makes sense to keep the two permits together. Yeah, I guess maybe we, it just might make sense to add another item here that's just function approvals. And then we can just change these to be like permit, permit support. This one's permit support. and then yeah this can just be whatever tractor development deployment and sorry what's the difference between these two or what what is this function approval item meant to signify so there's no, you know, the, what the permit is, the, a permit is a way to perform, you know, to approve something using an off-phase savings code. A permit requires the existence of an approval system in the first place in order to even, you know, you know in order for it to even make sense to create a permit to begin with, right? So there already is a pod approval system because in order for anyone to transfer assets on behalf of someone else, you need an approval system. Um, and the, what, what is currently was here is both the function approval system as just a generalized approval system is done and the permit support that comes attached to that is done. So there's kind of both the approval system as a whole, which is a much larger piece of code than the permit uh, you know, uh, need to be reviewed and kind of scoped all together. Got it. Any other thoughts from anyone before we move on? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the deployments uh, for this is a little confusing to me, at least. Like the function approval and, and permit support for functions are obviously going to go together. So maybe make it like approval slash permit support and then group the three together. But I think they, they should go. Oh, ahead. I didn't realize this column was called deployment. That's my bad. Then we could probably just rename it to tractor instead of tractor deployment. Sure. Uh, yeah, 
Peki. Okay. Moving on. Let's do it. Great. So the next thing you want to talk a little bit of journals. Yeah. So currently, uh, you know, within GameStop, there are four ways to use a combination of internal and external balances. Uh, one, use your internal balance strictly. One, using a strictly external. One, using a combination of both. And one, using uh, both. You know, one, using your internal balance, but up to a certain amount. Um, this mode, internal tolerant, basically says if you want to deposit 100 beans from your internal storage, but you end up only having 50, then it'll just deposit 50 and, uh, you know, not fail. In all other cases, if you don't actually have the desired amount, the transaction fails. Internal tolerant was created to handle cases like swap and deposit, where the output of a, of a prior action uh, is not set in stone at the time of trans you know, at the time of transaction creation. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone is aware that uh, you know on AMMs, slippage occurs between the time you know due to balances shifting in the pools uh, between the time of transaction creation and transaction settlement, um, causing the output of the swap to be a variable number that you can't kind of strictly predict ahead of time. So the internal tolerant mode would allow uh, you know, developers or you know clients that are doing swap and perform X transactions to use all of the output balance in the ensuing action, be it a deposit, a sell, without the transaction failing or without there being kind of leftover dust due to the developer having to underestimate the amount, the output amount, uh, you know, to be kind of the, the minimum slippage parameter. Um, there have been multiple issues in GameStop, uh, you know, development history where the internal, where the implementation of the uh, transfer, the receive and send token function, um, which transferred tokens to and from the GameStop contract, uh, did not use the return value of the action. And this is mostly the receive tokens function um, because that's what internal tolerance is used. And that had led to the potential leakage of funds. Um, you know, misuse of internal tolerant is a, uh, you know, an example of something where if implemented improperly could lead to all of the funds within GameStop being stolen. Um, thus, it would be great to remove it at the protocol level just so that, you know, a future iterations of GameStop don't improperly implement, uh, you know, implement the internal tolerant mode. Um, with BIP being the pipeline BIP, um, you know, the introduction, the introduction of the advanced farm mode was added. Advanced farm allows, uh, you know, byte copying from return value to prior functions at the farm level, which can be used as an alternative to internal tolerance. The goal has always been to, once all of the middleware has shifted over to using advanced farm instead of internal tolerant, to remove the internal tolerant mode so they cannot cause issues in the future. Um, so kind of whenever the SDK and the UI uh, remove their dependence upon internal tolerant, uh, you know, the hope is to remove internal tolerance as soon as possible. So I guess, you know, curious for your thoughts, Chad, on kind of the state of that. Um, you know, don't think it's the biggest rush as, you know, there aren't too many pro protocol level upgrades happening that process tokens moving to and from GameStop. But, you know, I guess it would be good to understand the state of things and, uh, you know, kind of 
broad scope where we think this should be prioritized in kind of middleware development? Yeah, so the quick summary there is the Beanstalk UI currently uses the farm function with the internal tolerant uh, technique exclusively for swaps. Um, so this is how all the swaps on the website are powered. So right now it's pretty important. And in order to, uh, to be able to remove it, we would need to update that. This is one of the next things that the front end team is working on. So a month or two ago, we started and, and completed development of the initial pipeline SDK, which is capable of executing swaps in pipeline um, without using the internal tolerant mode. And so that's functional and it's what root uses on their website, for example, but it'll take some time to port that over to all of the places in the UI where we uh, built the farm based swaps. So that's on the table uh, in the next couple of weeks for two engineers. Once that's done, uh, I don't believe there would be anything on our side that was making use of internal tolerant, um, though, you know, it might be worth some research to see if there's other folks in the ecosystem who are taking, a, you know, is currently using that in their front ends. Um, but beyond that, I think we could we could move to phase it out. Uh, that said, I, I think there's a broader discussion to have about uh, what it means to release a pipeline SDK because uh, there's obviously the, the design of pipeline makes it such that most of the onus to get things right is on the client side. And so, so far we've developed a pretty clean system for composing transactions, but it's, it's tricky to exhaustively test it and, and then also, uh, you know, convince, uh, consumers of the, the pipeline SDK who have to configure it themselves, uh, that they'll be able to do so safely, lots of documentation and, you know, sort of, uh, probably some sort of guardrails to be put up uh, on that front. So I don't think we have a clean idea yet of what the, the scope of that would look like, but I think it's something we should consider before, for example, enforcing that, uh, you know, or, or rather removing internal tolerance such that the only way to do these sorts of transactions in the ecosystem is through pipeline. And then, you know, there's also the advanced farm at the farm facet level. Um, so even if, you know, transactions are not using pipeline and, you know, we're being done strictly through Beanstalk, it is possible, but it requires the same use of the clipboard technology uh, that pipeline uses. I guess, like, another point that worth considering is, you know, kind of does their team, and, you know, maybe this warrants a larger end discussion, um, but are there any kind of, you know, minor to medium modifications that can be done at the pipeline level to reduce complexity for, you know, middleware and client developers. Um, you know, maybe just a discussion topic for, uh, you know, an end meeting. Cool, so to make sure I understand the question, it's basically how can we make the, the pipeline SDK as easy as possible for uh, developers to consume and, and utilize. Yeah, but you know, uh, friendly discussion that we can move on. Cool. Happy to if it'd be helpful. Uh, Great. Yeah, so, probably a conversation yeah, for another group. But I think it's very tightly related to uh, you know kind of the review process of Tractor because you know want to have the same kind of copy paste operations across kind of all three you know Tractor, Farm, and Pipeline. But 
Awesome. So moving on to the withdrawal time, currently still in development. Um, you know, well, uh, uh, probably real quick. I guess how are we feeling about the like cutoff of uh, you know, even the aspirational timeline of Q1 versus Q2. Although I guess or the sunrise stuff is after tolerance. this. Yeah, I'm more speaking generally about everything we talk about after this, but obviously the sunrise stuff should be Q1. Yeah, so I've got my thoughts. Uh, Pupus, you want to go first? Go I think first. keeping more aggressive timelines here is better and better to miss the timeline. So better to create a timeline that is just going to be missed than to set a later timeline. I mean, yeah, that's true, but we were kind of laughing about it on the phone the other day, how we've been setting quite ambitious timelines, and then somehow we're generally pretty on schedule for them. So I think as we get to, like, silo V3, that's probably going to fall into Q2, but uh, I think maybe the cutoff will be the remove withdrawal I mean, timer, well, and then everything thereafter. What is Go this ahead. the timeline for? What is this the timeline for? Deployment, audit, like, audit completion being ready for deployment. Call it deployment, I guess. Because there's no way Tractic gets deployed in Q1 if, you know, we can't even, you know, if it seems like Wells, you know, is already going to be pushing it. Like, to think Tractor even, you know, Tractor makes it into audit in, you know, a minimum two to three weeks, which is still kind of insane. To me, uh, this, this is timeout for, like, when things are ready for audit. And then the audit process okay. may take a month or two, but this is like when I, I when we hope to finish things on our end. We'll be done in Q1. Yeah, great. Totally. When is the work being done? Like once um, things are in audit, there's like it's not an active thing that is being worked on anymore. Well, at least I don't know if I agree with that fully. <laughs> like with with tractor, right? It's like almost all of the work is not the, the contract side. Contract side is probably, you know, 10%. Or sure, less. but at the top of this document, it says an on-chain Beanstalk ecosystem roadmap. So I'm, at least for, for me, I'm limiting the focus of this discussion to the on-chain stuff. Cool. Fair enough. Otherwise, it's like, let's get Pod Markiplier's V2 back up on this thing. <laughs> we got nothing. Okay. Moving on. All right. So sorry to sorry to derail. Yeah. No, go ahead. Not any questions? Any questions? Comments on the three withdrawal time issues? Yeah. That that hasn't been audited yet. It's not done. Still in dev. Got it. Still in dev. And do Breen is working on it. Yeah. And Green's do we have a, a lot sense of things. For, for when that will be ready for internal review? Uh, it's kind of hard because Breen's working on a lot. Yeah, as Guy said, Breen's working on a lot of things. Um, you know, whether he prioritizes kind of the continuous review of well code as it, you know, gets ready or, uh, you know, shifts his attention towards development on this issue, kind of will determine that. Um, you know, well, I asked Breen to... Do? I asked Breen to shift his time to reviewing Wells with Publius and I, which has been very helpful. Um, and I think he'll continue to do that until the commit hash is ready to go in their hands. And then 
this will be his his main project but we've gotten pretty far down the rabbit hole and may have to go a little bit back to the drawing board due to some of the complexities it, it turned out to be a much harder issue to solve than we originally thought the wells issue the withdraw time to zero got it okay noted Yeah, I mean, so what's the order of things on this document? Is that when they're, like, should the withdraw time, I mean, I feel like it should be moved above the, the tracker stuff, probably, if this is, like, a chronological order of kind of when things are expected to be wrapped up from a back-end perspective. Like, it's already been sure. a preliminary uh, audit. It's already been what? I mean, it's already been audited. <laughs> it's completely broken form. So that's why I thought it was audited, because it has been audited. It has been audited. Ridiculous. And do we want to move uh, the removed internal tolerant above tracker or leave it where it is? That's What's going on over there? there Getting your teeth drilled? Uh, one sec, let me see if I can figure this out. Sort by both of these. And then... Notion is so powerful, Jesus. I don't know what why you're saying remove with the lack though. Sorry, I think I accidentally uh, deleted some of the, the filters without realizing. So we wanted the remove withdraw timer stuff above tractor, which is fair. But, but I guess I don't know why you're sorting. Like if you delete the sorts, I think it just does what we then it's in the right order. I just unsorted and now it's good. Oh yeah. <laughs> well then. Okay. Uh, quick question. Would the removing internal tolerant mode just be part of any VIP that happens to be proposed around that time or what's the what's the thinking there yeah great all right so i think now we move on to silo v3 and everything else that we're talking about is at at, at best q2 Whoops. Oh, I was changing it to Q2. I thought we wanted it to be uh, Q1. 
the silo? Sorry, maybe I misheard what you said. Go ahead. I am the one changing it, and the the my comment was that I think the remove internal tolerant is the last thing that we can realistically expect to be finished working on in Q2, Q1. Sounds good. So do we want to talk about Silo V3, Brendan? Do you have anything you want to kick us off with? Sure. Uh, you know, kind of uh, a few things that Silo V3 needs to get done. Uh, you know, the main thing is to prepare uh, you know, for governance, um, you know, make the Silo V3 composable and interoperable with you know, most of DeFi um, and prepare for this stock gauge system where you know, kind of the grown stock awarded for BUD is going to start to be you know, variable rather than fixed. Um, you know, kind of, uh, so you know, kind of there's likely going to be kind of a, a V2 implementation of stock. Um, you know, the removal of seeds as they're currently implemented today completely. Um, potentially renaming BUDD to seed and making seeds uh, kind of deposit specific. So maybe starting with, uh, you know, how deposits and seeds are going to change. So currently seeds or just deposits are indexed strictly by season. Um, you know, the reason why this is, so Beanstalk needs to determine the kind of grown stock for BDD per season, every season, for every deposit. Because the grown stock, uh, because the, you know, so kind of in order to solve that problem currently, this intermediary variable called seeds was created. It was created to summate, uh, you know, some weighted BDD of all accounts based on some weight. And that weight being seeds per BDD and fixing the grown stock per seed to be one per season. However, the moment that seeds per BDD are no longer constant, the grown stock per BDD per season is not constant, and therefore the concept of seeds altogether lose their foothold as they're based on the assumption that, you know, kind of the seeds per BDD is constant. So, this intermediary variable that is seeds, which you know was really just created to create kind of an elegance in terms of determining, uh, you know, grown stock growth over time, uh, you know, kind of no longer fits into the system. So instead, you know, uh, of tracking seeds at an individual deposit level, in order to make that seeds per BDD variable variable, we can't store the amount of seeds on chain. Instead, it'll be necessary to keep track of how much BDD each user has deposited of a given token. Um, gonna not use the word seeds v2 for now, but you know, theoretically, the concept of one BDD of bean could be renamed to one, one bean seed. Uh, and seeds are just a one-to-one -one representation of BDD of a given asset. Um, so kind of there's a lot of reworking of kind of like uh, the inner workings of their necessary. Um, and ultimately, instead of tracking a season level, um, because so before, because 
seeds per BDV within each season were constant, it may, you know, it was possible to index deposits based on seasons. Because again, the seeds per BDV in every season were the same. However, in order to make that variable, it's no longer the case that the seeds per BDV are the same within every season. So therefore, instead of tracking deposits by season, it makes sense to track deposits by cumulative grown stock per BDV. So there's some counter that, you know, uh, in, you know, increments from a theoretical perspective, it doesn't actually increment on chain every season by the current grown stock per BDV for a given token. So within a whitelist, what's really stored is the grown stock per BDV. The, you know, how much grown stock or per season? Grown stock per BDV per season, where each season, how much grown stock you get for a BDV of a given token type. And now, uh, and the reason for this is, you know, because the goal is to make this variable variable. The goal is to allow this variable to fluctuate whenever, however, and still maintain parity across the rest of the SILA. Um, and, you know, in order to do this, you know, you start, and this is generally done in on-chain systems, but using cumulative variables by just summating the Talio uh, every time that it's evaluated, uh, and then by merely calculating the difference between the current cumulative minus the initial cumulative, you can calculate how much has accrued. So now, uh, each deposit is gonna be indexed by its cumulative BDV, you know, grown stock per BDV index of a given token type. So no longer will you have a bean deposit at season 500, you have a bean deposit at some grown stock per BDV number, like, you know, say a thousand grown stock per BDV, to total grown stock per BDV. And the current grown stock per BDV might be 3000. And to calculate the grown stock per BDV on top of each BDV in the, uh, in the season, or, or in the deposit, instead of doing how many seasons have passed times that fixed number seeds per BDV, you just subtract the cumulative total to get the difference. Um, so this is kind of what the next structure of deposits is gonna look like. Um, and as a part of it, you know, this whole concept of seeds just gets lost altogether and Beanstalk will now need to start tracking BDV at a token level. Um, in some way, the, the goal is to, in the process, and again, that is strictly to prepare for the stockage system. Um, the goal is also to increase the interoperability and composability of the silo altogether by tokenizing all the different underlying pieces of you know, deposits in the silo um, in order to you know, start setting up markets for all of these different uh, you know, pieces. So um, in some way, in the process, in some way, need to create some standard interface for deposits and seeds. Now, seeds are pretty straightforward, um, you know, probably through some form of 1155 token where, you know, the ID is just the token address. So, uh, you know, Beanstalk, you know, the seed 1155 contract, an ID with the bean address corresponds to a bean seed. Um, and in that way, it probably makes most sense to tokenize the, the grown stock yield, uh, you know, on top of a given deposit. Now, when it comes to deposits, uh, you know, and there have been a couple uh, design, design discussions on this, um, but it's quite difficult 
uh, especially when factoring in future iterations of the sign allowance that will support more than just ERC-20 tokens, uh, you know, potentially being 1155s in NFTs, to where uh, the amount of metadata that corresponds to each given deposit is greater than the 32-byte uh, kind of index space that an 1155 provides for. Um, so there are kind of two options here. Option one is forced deposits to be implemented with the 1155 interface, uh, which means there needs to be some on-chain metadata stored that map from kind of, you know, uh, random, non-helpful, uh, you know, hashed index to the underlying metadata. Option two would be to create some kind of new token standard with, a, you know, an infinite ID space. Currently, the 1155, uh, you know, cr uh, only allows for an ID space of 2 to 256. The ID is a uint 256. You can specify any ID, but there's a fixed, uh, you know, domain space for that ID. Um, creating some new kind of token standard that functions very similarly to 1155, but, you know, kind of just has ID space of type bytes, such that there's theoretical infinite byte space. Um, you know, there's, uh, yeah, pretty much theoretically infinite by space, um, you know, uh, might, might make sense here. Um, you know, so the alternatives are use 1155 in an incredibly gas inefficient way where now every time a deposit is made, you know, you, you're given some random 1155 token, but you need to know that that 1155 token corresponds to this cumulative stocks or BBB index, this underlying token and um, you know like this underlying BBB and storing that on chain is quite expensive for each unique instance of a deposit. Um, so uh, that's just a the couple deposits things. in the keys. Go ahead. One, I think it'd be helpful to just lead with the punchline, which is that we intend to propose a new ERC standard to solve this problem as opposed to like pigeonholing things into the 1155 standard, correct? Currently, that seems to be the best path forward, um, you know, but the, the process and, uh, you know, the, the, the difficulty of implementation um, and the potential you know, implications of such may, you know, provide otherwise as these, the path is further explored, but that's the current plan. Yeah, I think it would be helpful to, for people to know that we are interested in going forward with that, and that would be like a large collective effort trying to get some new ERC twenty standard or some new ERC standards, and this doesn't just apply to deposits. As we eventually make our way to the field uh, and talk about pods uh, and an interface for pods, we probably also want to do that for pods. So, just throwing that on people's radar. Um, the other thing I, I would find it very helpful to, if you talked about it, and this is not a leading question. I don't really have an answer for this yet. Uh, how do we anticipate uh, the new silo architecture and the gauge system? handling wells that are not just between two tokens, but are potentially between N tokens and the value of the tokens are changing based on some sort of oracles. How are we thinking about the silo treating those assets? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the question, I, I guess it depends, like assuming we're still talking in a well D1 context, meaning we're still talking about 
uh, you know, liquidity pools represented by a single on-chain liquidity position in the form of an ERC-20 token. Um, you know, don't think we, you know, do, you know, Wells V2 and, uh, you know, a silo supporting a domain space greater than ERC-20 tokens, you know, have quite been reached in the roadmap discussion. But, um, you know, kind of the goal is to allow, you know, any, any token to be as permissionly as possible supported. Um, and, you know, kind of what the requirements, the main requirement for something to be even considered for the silo in the first place is a proper oracle um, that allows manipulation, resistant uh, querying of, you know, kind of the, the value of a given token. Um, now, what this looks like in the Wells architecture is, you know, just an instantaneous value pump with sufficient manipulation resistance. Now, what does it take for Beanstalk to be able to permissionlessly uh, you know, trust an instantaneous value oracle, um, you know, whether it go, you know, routes through some, you know, this aqueduct protocol or kind of whatever, you know, ultimately the trust assumption is trust in the pump and trust that the pump is properly conveying the correct oracle result. Now, this requires the address of the pump to be whitelisted in some way and going back to the discussion earlier about why the separation of the auger is important, it requires trust in the correct auger. So Beanstalk will in some way need to verify that an oracle value, and again, it can be through Aqueduct, it'll, you know, it'll be done through the Aqueduct protocol instead, but Aqueduct will need to be able to, you know, kind of somehow have some verified list of pumps and augers that can be trusted and like I, I, the goal would be to create another layer of abstraction on top of this, um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, how it's it's hard to kind of think of uh, a solution for which you know kind of any pump can be trusted. There needs to be some form of, you know, a pump is deployed, used in a well. There needs to be some sort of verification process for you know uh, the actual real world to verify that the oracle data returned from this pump is actually properly, you know, protecting against all attacks and the non-malicious. I guess the, the question is less around the integration of arbitrary pumps and more about trying to understand whether this series of upgrades to the silo only handles the current implementation of wells or whether it will already support let's call it the n-dimensional NFT version of Wells. And I think what you're saying is like, as it's currently scoped, this upgrade to the silo only really handles Wells V1. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the least common denominator right now seems to be the required trust in a pump and an implementation, right? So in order to trust, like, like ideally- like, It doesn't I seem like the I'm, case to me. Like, I think, I think whitelisting like types of pumps is very, a very clean solution there that really does last. And over time you can have like the amount of the, the, the pumps that are on the whitelist can be expanded or as you said, you can abstract it further. But for now, like that seems to be perfectly acceptable to me. I guess the question that I'm asking is- It's a combination of pump and auger. Because I'm the, sorry? The auger determines, it's a combination of auger and pump. 
the auger sure. is you know what deploys. I'm with you. I, I guess the same thing. The the part where I am a little bit uh, I'm trying to understand is when you have a well that is not uh, a constant product function uh, mm -hmm. or something that is fixed and is said mm -hmm. variable such that the value that you're willing to pay yeah. for a bean changes over time, how does that factor in? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, so full, full, like well function as of now, there does not seem to be a way to route around, uh, you know, a well function whitelist. Um, you know, uh, like just boiling down to the simplest example of, you know, uh, you deploy a well and your well function, let's just say it's a constant price where it swaps one to one USD for bean. However, the well function has a Boolean in it that can be true or false. And when that Boolean is true, it allows the one to one swapping of tokens within the well. When that Boolean is false, it doesn't allow any swapping of tokens in the well. And you are the owner of that contract and you can turn that Boolean off and on arbitrarily with an on-chain transaction. In order to have permissionless kind of well functions such that any well function can arbitrarily be added into Beanstalk, it requires their, you know, trust that the you know, that the well function is not that, or, you know, that the, um, you know, the, the price at which the well function uh, permits trading does not vary across, um, does not vary across, uh, you know, between updates of the pump. Um, so I guess, you know, kind of, and, and unfortunately, it's kind of impossible to mandate that modifications made to the well function or its potentially downstream oracle resulting value. For instance, say it's just reading some chain link oracle um, that's updated arbitrarily. The pump would need to be updated every time the potential output of the well function changes. So, you know, as of now, you know, unless there's control at the execution layer, to basically, you know, perform some, uh, you know, some execution layer protocol logic, uh, you know, within the Ethereum layer itself to verify that transactions do not modify well functions, or if they do, to properly update the Oracle value, it seems hard to kind of imagine a world in which Beanstalk can trustlessly support all well functions. Um, and I think it's something, you know, that needs to be worked towards too, and more thought can be put into it. But, you know, just based on kind of that small, you know, logical reasoning of, you know, if the well function can arbitrarily be changed, there's no way for the pump to automatically be, or, you know, to be permissionlessly upgraded in tandem to the change in well function, um, you know, in a verifiable, trustless, permissionless fashion. Um, you know, the alternative would be some like on-chain race condition to where if the, you know, the, the output of a well function changes, someone can permissionlessly call a function to update the pump. That's the closest for what it seems like it could get, but that would require an actual on-chain incentive for someone to, perfor to perform the Oracle update. Um, and it would mandate that someone's actually able to do it. 
there's no reason why a multi-block MEV attack couldn't, uh, or, or I guess, you know, Oracle should be multi-block MEV resistant. So, uh, you know, that, that shouldn't be an issue, but um, I mean, that's the general Yeah, just, hi just highlighting, and I think this is, this is very constructive, but it highlights what is currently in scope for upgrades to the silo uh, and what remains to be largely figured out from a design perspective. So hopefully this is helpful color for everyone and I know it's helpful color for me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, currently it's like, you know, whitelist needs to be maintained for pumps, augers, and well functions. And, uh, you know, the goal uh, over the long term would try to be to reduce the need for that as much as possible. I mean, you know, it's already been abstracted one level. You know, currently it requires the need for each individual token to be whitelisted. Um, but at least, you know, now it's like all tokens that were deployed using, you know, a trusted auger, well function, and pump can be whitelisted. If that can be taken further to release any of those, you know, vectors of trust, it would be, it would be a drastic improvement. But it's hard to, you know, all of these three things require manual uh, verification and, you know, uh, or protocol level control of execution flow. Protocol meaning the actual virtual environment protocol. Virtual machines. So that's silo V3 as it's currently scoped. It's, uh... I mean, I guess just the last piece of it is in addition to the, the deposits and seeds, you know, kind of fungible oh. stock. Fungible stock is yeah. going to be uh, you know, actually more complicated than it might seem, mostly from the perspective of when, when stock is deposited, say, into, say there's a well that contains stock, there'll need to be logic to handle kind of the redirection. You know, say I deposit stock into a well, that stock starts earning earned beans. The well itself will have a deed to the earned beans, Meaning if someone plants, you know, if the well plants, it'll get those earned beans or it will just accrue them. But there needs to be some way to redirect the earned bean yield to an underlying token holder. Now, obviously, with, you know, with technology being built, the goal is always to do it as composability and or com in as composable and interoperable fashion as possible. Um, but, you know, kind of that will, that's kind of the third, you know, I, I guess, you know, the third, whereas the first piece is removing the withdrawal timer. The second is this new deposit seed system. The fourth is, you know, uh, making stock liquid and, you know, solving all of the downstream implications of that. Right. Any, anyone want to comment on or ask questions about silo V3 as it's currently scoped? What do you think the logical breakdown of different dips that these should fall into should be? Other than remove withdraw timer, which is close to close to uh, being audited. I mean, at least from my end, it's probably going to be dependent on governance and a lot of these upgrades are, are related to the governance system and in particular the gauge system. And so 
what will be scoped to be uh, thrown together in a single BIP is probably pretty up in the air at the moment, depending on the other half of the coin, which is the governance side of things. On this end, you know, uh, uh, you know, agree with Cooper is completely there, especially on the stock side. Um, you know, ultimately, it, like some sort of like pump style balance tracking solution will need to be used for stock. Um, we'll just say that the upgrade to using a dynamic seed per BDD variable is kind of already in progress. Um, and you know, if that wraps up, and if the if the on you know if the on chain DAO feels like it makes sense to modify because what the, the the dynamic seeds per BDB and setting up this whole new deposit system uh, without the existence of all the you know all the other flowers on top facilitates you know like a one time modification of seeds per BDB. So say for instance that update was completed, you know governance as a whole still much in progress and thus. You know the seat, the stock token itself. You know is very, very downstream and closely related to one of the requirements of the governance system. Um, you know, say you know the the on chain. You know, say the DAO wanted to change the seeds per BDB of unripe beans research to two or three or you know two point five. The dynamic stock or you know the dynamic grown stock per BDB system would support you know one time modifications as well. So if it's the case that that seemed like it, you know, that it seemed like the, you know, the, the DAO was in favor of making a one-time change, it might make sense to release the dynamic seeds per BDB system before the rest of Silo V3. Um, but if that's not the case, there's no reason to do that other than just to you know, have more of the code completed you know, and fully deployed on chain, which you know, is neither here nor there to me. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Given, given that Right now, it does feel like the number one thing that would help repeg Beanstalk is a reweighting of the unripe seeds for BDB. I don't think it's unrealistic to scope that in uh, as a separate bit, but at least from from this perspective, that is probably. I mean, all of these upgrades are at least three months away, and therefore it's hard to know where the system will be economically three months from now, so it's hard to plan. But uh, yeah, as Publis was saying, it may make sense to go about the seeds uh, upgrade separately from the, the stock upgrade. But otherwise, uh, I mean, no, no strong opinions here, but that, that will likely be something that is dependent on how development is going, what the economics of the system are, and uh, how the two are related. I mean, I guess it would be good to get some quick thoughts on, you know, say seeds, say BDV was to be renamed, like bean BDV becomes seed BDV, and the concept of fungible seeds altogether gets, you know, thrown out the door. Is that confusing? Should it just be called bean BDV, and you can have fungible bean BDV, or you know, do we like having what 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 is seeds? bean BDV? Like one BDV of the deposited bean. One bean is one BDV of beans. It's really confusing. Why bean? Is that an already? Uh, it's an example. Clear through BDV. Any whitelisted asset. Any one BDV of a whitelisted silo asset is a B is a C is that a seed of that whitelisted asset? 
The problem now is that seeds are just not a total fungible level. Of this total fungible level. So it's like, you know, on, on the I don't website, know what that means. Like you, I guess you do have a total amount of seeds. It's just not, it's not, it's fluctuating. So yeah, I mean, seeds can still exist on there, you know, and as far as like a theoretical client side variable. Seeds have always been a construct to help people understand what's going on, and yeah, but you won't I still be trading seeds. Like you go on, you, you go on like OpenSea, or you mean you go on Tractor, or you there's going to be a well for Bean BDV. You're just trading the BDV, but that's different than trading the actual underlying deposit. Yeah, I think then you definitely need to keep seeds. But is and are seeds being like maintained in their total cumulative level with their variable? Like the, the problem with leaving seeds as is is if you know I give you 100 seeds and then the stock you know and, and they're associated they're really bean seeds underneath you know and you know the the seeds per BDV change uh, these words are also confusing. But My understanding is that seeds were always going to be implemented as an 1155 in the sense that there's right. a different seed that corresponds to different deposits, and I don't think that that has changed. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know if yeah. I mean, so yeah. So I'm just yeah. Great. If that if everyone's still on the same page, if that makes sense and it's clear, great. But but you know, pretty much what I was asking is, is that change clear and makes sense? I don't think I totally understand the question. Maybe it makes sense to scope for a different call to have a longer discussion about this. Probably not super relevant for right now, but as we start to scope out the silo V3 in, in more detail, yeah, we can we can talk so about naming conventions. That's within the next week, just because there's great. active development on this project. Great. I'm happy to talk about it, but I think, I mean, we're already pushing like, an hour and a half here and have a lot a lot more to review yeah, so let's keep going all right we got chicken bonds uh i don't know how much there is to talk about there but oh well, wait do we before think we move on yeah, yeah i mean there's like a bunch of different items here under silo v3 like do we think it's worth yeah i mean we can talk like about them briefly so like converting unripe lambda to lambda uh, at some point, we'll need to facilitate the conversion from unripe assets to their ripe implementations. And in particular, this has to do with like when the chop rate is 100% such that there's no chop. Uh, that that will need to be facilitated, uh, but it's pretty basic. Um, the The next thing is the distribution of yield to uh, deposited assets. Uh, think and and be correct me if I'm wrong here, but this will in practice be almost the same as the thing that facilitates the distribution of the bean yield associated with stock once stock is liquid, where there's just some macro level implementation that needs to facilitate the distribution of yield from any assets in the silo to the depositors that own them. Is that correct? Yes. So that's that's I'm sort of similar mechanism. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just that it should be implemented as different as one thing. Yeah, and then the last thing is, and this I is guess seeds also need to, to just seeds will, will need that as well. 
yeah. seeds. Like if I, just, mm-hmm. if I have a seed, you know, bean seed in a well, I need to be receiving the grown stock on top of it. 100%. Um, the, the last one scoped under V3 is the stock bonus for conversions. Uh, at this point, don't, don't have any strong opinions on whether that will actually be implemented or whether it should be implemented. Uh, it's probably related to upgrades to peg maintenance, uh, primarily where the concept is uh, factoring in the time since the last conversion, whether Beanstalk should offer some grown stock bonus for converting and participating in peg maintenance. I would maybe even just change this from silo v3 to questions because it is sort of undefined and yeah don't don't feel like we're really at a point where that that is at the same level as the other stuff that's just me i'm going to move it down to questions agreed with you whereas a lot of the other things are how this is a matter of like if or like should yeah that's all I got on the V3 front. Great. Sounds good to me. Can, can you quickly... You say... Yeah, I just wanted to ask again, can you quickly um, resummarize re- 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 the need for the new standard? What, what exactly is it the problem that is solving? Talk about what? We were talking about there is an intention to create a new standard that would first be in the silo and then later it may be used also in the field. So, current, so the 1155, oh, you're talking about, wait, there are two different standards. So kind of, you know, Beanstalk has two unique offset classes that are not currently covered by a standard, deposits and pods. Now, ultimately, the amount of metadata that is contained within a deposit, the domain of metadata is gonna be greater than the domain of ID space that is permitted within an 1155 token, right? So there are two options. You can restrict domain space by hashing. Hashing, you know, with the assumption of collision resistance can restrict domain space. But hashing is a lossless action. When you hash, you lose access to all of the inputs of the hash. So say deposit, you know, the ID of a deposit is some random hash. There's no way natively for, uh, you know, an on-chain protocol to determine the metadata from some random IDs. Now, unless that, you know, kind of, and, and you know, so, Basically, the, you know, the amount of data, the domain of data that can consist of a deposit is greater than 2 to the 256. So the, the options here are either store some on-chain mapping from ID hash to underlying metadata, which is going to take at least one storage slot of storage, probably two, maybe three, which is... You know, now every time someone deposits a unique deposit, it's going to increase the gas cost by, you know, 40 to 60,000 because they actually have to set the on-chain metadata of the token. Um, you know, that's one possible solution. And it very well may make sense to use that solution. Um, it's just going to be, you know, it's just a very expensive solution. 
The alternative is to create a new token standard with infinite domain space. Domain space meaning the amount of different unique tokens that can exist. What an NFT in 1155 token do is they create two of the 256 tokens by taking an ID, some number, you know, within a 32 bytes of data slot and mapping that to some balance. So, but the point is, it's li or I guess the, the, the problem is it's limited by 32 bytes of data. You can only have 32 bytes of data within the domain space of each ID. So one alternative to having to store all, you know, that, that mapping of 32 bytes, you know, being able to determine what the actual inputs into that, you know, kind of hashing operation are, like what, what this random ID hash means can be moved to the ID. So within an ID itself, it just contains all of the metadata concatenated meaning that it, you know it, it, it and you know in turn extending beyond that 32 byte limit so that there's no need to store some on-chain mapping from ID to underlying data it, it, what the interface would look like and again only if it seems like there is a demand and need for such an interface instead of the alternative on-chain metadata storing approach you know would just be very similar to the existing 1155 standard just using a variable length ID instead of a UNT 256, you know, which is a fixed 32 bytes of data as the ID. Now, separately, there's no token standard for an ordinal token structure. Pods have an ordinal token structure. Pod with ID zero is one before pod with ID one, which is one before ID two. It feels like it's the best practice to have every representation of on-chain value be implemented via a protocol, you know, an Ethereum level value standard, token standard. So if there exists no ordinal token standard, it probably makes sense to also create an ordinal token standard such that pods and any other token that has an ordinal structure can have a Ethereum level ERC standard for implementing and using such a token standard across different protocols. Can you describe why that's beneficial exactly versus some interface we create and that getting adoption? They're the exact same thing, I feel like, in practice, right? It's just the process of getting adoption is standardizing it. Like, or, or at least it feels yeah, like that they are identical. part of the procedure. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. And, and not, not to keep uh, going into the same thing, um, if we just save them as NFTs and each, you know, attribute has, you know, this, the attribute is the number of beans and, you know, the number, the amount of seeds and let's say the initial one before switching, what's the advantage over that? Is this where it becomes too expensive? The advantage of this over that? Yes. Yeah, the only advantage is saving on-chain, you know, uh, minting costs. That's the only advantage. Okay, clear. Thank you. Um, 
and then it should be noted that it probably makes sense to create and and you know some some generalized value standards such that you know all token standards you know are are can be used within a shared context for instance you know an ERC20 token is a subset in a, of an 1155 token an ERC20 token could be interfaced and implemented with as an 1155 an NFT can also be reduced to an 1155 Meaning, you know, the difference between an NFT and 1155 is that at each index, you can now have in, you can now have two to the 256 instead of just one. So the 1155 is both an ex, you know is an expansion on the domain space of 721 and 20. So you know the goal would be to you know create a a a like to create an interface that allows interaction of all different types of token interfaces that exist and you know kind of where this problem comes up a lot is with depot depot ha you know the only thing the limited like the limitation around the generalization of depot is simply its ability to move representations of value on chain so for every different type of token standard depot needs to implement a transfer and permit for that given token type so that it can load pipelines similar for tractor tractor needs the ability to move on chain value in a permission fashion in and out of users accounts so you know to to create a one step removed kind of abstracted way such that through one function tractor or depot would be able to transfer any of the given underlying types of value and again in a standardized fashion not a unique fashion that is going to be repeatedly implemented by all these different DeFi protocols wells uh you know will inevitably need some way to just transfer generalized value the silo will need a way to transfer generalized value you know currently things are implemented for a specific token standard it would be great to be able to you know in a very succinct fashion support all types of token standards and you know it feels like it you know a great step alongside create you know with the creation of these token standards is to create that supplemental interface uh you know that that you know all token standards can be reduced down to and it's worth saying that with the and obviously uh, in time we always discover more things but with the additional two token standards that we're discussing at the moment for deposits and for pods, uh, it does seem like that covers the basics. And to Publius's point that uh, a, like a meta level token standard or interface that facilitates the, uh, the interaction with all of those, let's call it five different token standards. So. 20, 1155, 721, and then the two additional ones we're discussing, that will, at least in theory, provide a real basis for all of DeFi to start to interoperate in a much smoother fashion. So, uh, yeah, there's an open question as to how to best do this within the Ethereum community and contribute to the ERC20 or the ERC standards, but uh, this seems like. Uh, like very important work to be done in the next couple months.
I mean, does it make sense given this context to maybe separate out the ERC standard interface for deposits and group it with a pod ERC standard and the meta ERC standard as like an ERC standard deployment set, the three of them separately? Sorry, what were the three items? There's the ERC standard for deposits, the ERC standard for pods, and then like a meta token ERC standard. And then I guess well add it probably like a, a meta approval standard, like a standard to create, you know, kind of, uh, you know, there's, there's currently three different EIPs that implement different approval systems for 1155. There's like one that allows token level approvals. Uh, there's one that allows like total approvals. Actually, I'm honestly not quite sure, but you know, kind of the point is it would be, you know, uh, approvals should not be something that are bound in functionality. They should be bound, you know, like it's 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 something that can be implemented in a generalized fashion, such that you can give approvals based on arbitrary conditions instead of just I approve you to spend ten beans. It should be I approve you to do this based on the fact that this you know generic function call or this generic execution you know script, whatever you want to call it, returns true or doesn't reverse. Yeah, and thinking more about scoping the different stuff. I mean, the eleven fifty five farm balance support to me isn't really part of silo v three at this point. Uh, but it's unclear where that should go exactly. Um, I see if we scroll down a little bit, we have something currently slotted at seven twenty one pods and farm. Uh, which includes the interface for pods. We had previously had it down as a seven point one, but now, as we're talking about, we we think it probably makes sense to have a different interface for it. So maybe uh, it makes the most sense to maybe just have like a farm upgrade and slot that for uh, 721.11.55 support and then supporting any of these other standards as we create them. You mean this is no longer applicable, this one? The second one here, the 721 interface for pods is no longer applicable. And then I'm suggesting that we change the 1155 farm balance support to part of the farm upgrade and then kind of group the two together. And we'll move it up here. Tag this in to internal tolerant one was farm upgrade. Actually, no, sorry, we left that to Q1. All right, I'll just leave yeah. it for now. I think they're separate. Right. Um, and then should we add? Uh, should we add to the farm upgrade 
support for the new ERC standards that we're working on as well? Or should that be scoped like as a separate upgrade? Like Beanstalk support for it? Correct. At the farm level. Yeah, I think we should just group them for now. Should I call this our ears? The new yes, the standards. Yeah. New standards support. Great. All right, should we shift uh, to chicken bonds quickly? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was just a, a bean sprout funded project. Don't, don't think there's much to talk about here. And given how much is on Breen's plate, it doesn't seem like it's the highest priority, but hopefully sometime in Q2, it gets finished. And I guess just in general, just to wrap up the ERC discussion, like, you know, it should be, there really just first off needs to be more time spent exploring the existing rules around, you know, kind of EIP 1155 and just determining how truly flexible they are. Um, and it just should be considered that if the only, you know, if there is some way to scope pause the existing 1155 framework without breaking the defined rules, which is possible there could be in the case that you know, like on on token transfer, it splits 1155s into other tokens, but that it's possible just maybe more gas inefficient. And then the discussion should be had around kind of the, the friction of, you know, uh, EIP and adoption and just really trying to figure out at what level does it make sense to start trying to, uh, you know, increase, you know, be okay with significant gas inefficiency due to using already existing standards and just believing in, uh, you know, an amenable base level in general. I mean, from, from, from my perspective, I think that given the nature of the work that we're trying to do, and in particular in the context of defining like a meta ERC standard for tokens, it seems like a no-brainer to do the work to create the gas efficiency for pods and then kind of just get it over with once and for all. But that's just me as someone that will not be doing any of the work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I think it's like, like, like the meta, the meta standard described earlier could with proper ruling, like rules defined in the standard, you know, interface for both pods and deposits. And it's like assuming that ERC 1155 has this generalized like open vocal language about you know not enforcing what it actually means but rather just like that it has parity with kind of like event emission and balance calls um because the and whether like the because you can attach extra data to 1155 i mean so at that point it's like you know the, the assessment so it's like if the values if the gas efficiency of going with this like uh you know data abstract length data standard makes sense 
uh, you know, then, you know, I said, but, but, uh, yeah, I don't, we don't need to talk about this anymore. TBD, TBD, it's an open conversation. All right, Mo trying to just move the conversation along a little bit because we're pushing almost two and a half hours now, um, or at least well over two hours. Uh, maybe not, maybe close to two hours, I'm losing my mind. Um, wells 1.1, as it's currently scoped, are just a variety of other uh, functions uh, or wells. Uh, it's likely that to our earlier discussion, some of this gets expanded to figure out how we can generalize some of the whitelists and approvals, but for now, probably don't have too much to expand on on this front, unless, uh, B, you've got stuff you want to add. Nothing. You know, I think there might be, you know, a pain point or two that presents itself upon experimentation with different wells, but so far, you know, not not really. To Publius's point about trying to minimize the, minimize the demand, the, the need for verifying on-chain functionality. Right. Um, so moving ahead to govern what's currently scoped as governance two. I don't actually know what was scoped as governance one. Uh, but that the aside, one that failed. W which one? Oh, like the original governance. <laughs> yes. Wait, that joke went way over my head. Um, but I guess it's good to laugh. Uh. The these are it wasn't a joke. <laughs> All right, that's funny. Um the the what's currently scoped as governance two can probably broken up into two separate things. One we have the gauge system, uh which is more related to peg maintenance, and then the second is uh all of the the bells and whistles associated with moving back to on-chain governance and in particular pieces of uh, a governance process that could dramatically improve security associated with uh, on-chain governance. So in particular, uh, having the assets that are used to vote for a BIP or associated with the stock that votes for a BIP uh, be locked up for a period of time after the voting period ends uh, having multiple step BIP execution, uh, requiring the votes to pass, not just instantly, but uh, over some extended period of time, like multiple seasons and things like that. Um, this is probably an incomplete list, but uh, includes some of the pieces of the puzzle and sort of as we were talking about in the down meeting earlier today, uh, this has become a major focus in our, our current thought processes, and hopefully this is something we'll be able to expand on and refine much deeper over the next month or two, let's call it. But as Governance 2 is currently scoped, uh, it's really related to the shift back to on-chain governance. And then, yeah, like the change that was just made there to separate the gauge system from Governance 2, and maybe we'll just kind of slide the gauge system up to under silo v3 given that it is almost entirely independent of 
the actual governance stack. Don't have too much else there. What did you mean by two-step BIP execution? So the approval of the BIP on chain can be locked in such that the BIP will be implemented, but then the upgrade to Beanstalk that executes the BIP may happen after some like time delay or season delay. So the BIP has been approved, but you still have a week to leave the system freely before the BIP is executed, for example. Makes sense. All right, if we move on to task governance, unless anyone has anything else to add on that front. So next on the list is Flood 2.0. Uh, in particular, there's really, uh, I mean, the flood isn't expected to happen anytime soon, but and this is probably one of the reasons why this is so low on the list, but as the flood is currently implemented, it's pretty stupid because the minting associated with the flood happens in excess of the minting to the, like the normal minting. And that doesn't really make sense from an economics perspective uh, in the sense of beans are now being minted and distributed to the silo twice. Uh, whereas in the case of the flood, the real reason for it is that none of the silo members are selling or not in enough size. And so it really just seems like a, an economic inefficiency to have the beans minted twice and half of them sold. So instead, the thought would be to change the amount of minting during a flood to still be equal to the, the Delta B, but just change the distribution of it to first have the flood and then go from there. So that's really a minor change. It could probably happen at at any time, but uh, given the 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 unlikely uh, the the low level of likelihood that a flood happens any time. This is currently scoped for for Q two. No questions oh, here. Just for Q two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, exactly. All <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, well, it's still January, boys and girls. It's still January. Oh. We got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. Uh. All right. We want to talk about silo. Uh, sorry, field three point oh. I guess a quick question is flood. There's a separate whitelist for flood that isn't the Oracle whitelist, or how does that work exactly? Or is the item to actually implement that? Well, the... Really? Go ahead. No, please. Yeah, I mean, kind of current, like, the way that it's currently implemented on-chain is that 
the flood and the minting are two completely different systems. You know, the uh, during the replant, uh, you know, kind of when when replant was being developed, you know, it, you know the one option was to combine the Oracle and flood whitelists when you know the generalized minting architecture was implemented. However, at the time, it was just deemed to be you know it, it's a it's a quite demanding task and. Uh, you know, it, given that the flood did not seem to be happening soon, and you know, nor would tokens be added to the minting whitelist anytime soon, they were not combined. So currently, the flood is implemented only to flood into a single liquidity pool, and thus, you know, when the BNF pool is added, it will probably not natively be automatically added to the flood. So, adding, you know, kind of combining the two whitelists into one. Um, and just, you know, more general discussion around what that looks like. Do, how do we feel about, do we want to move this to Q3 given it's, you know, flood isn't probably happening anytime soon? I mean, I think there are numerous things above that, you know, should probably also move to Q3, but this is a great place to start. <laughs> Other Publius, do you care? I mean, I don't like it, but yeah, if we want to move it to Q3, I would just move it below Yield 3.0 because I think to some extent, like the real, one of the things that we've been talking about from a development perspective is splitting up development work uh, in groups of development teams based on module. And so it doesn't like work on the silo may get started now uh, for silo 3.0 uh, or silo v3 and similarly work on the field may get started but it's a question as to when it all be finished i think the work on the flood is like very much at the bottom of the totem pole so if we start with that at q3 that that seems acceptable Great. yeah i mean but also, yeah, also just the, the the flood minting task is a very small end task um, you know, that, that itself could be put into any upgrade of the Sunrise uh, at any point, but you know, not sure how much merit it stands alone. I don't think it matters right now. Okay, happy to move on. All right, so now we're, let's talk about the field a little bit. Uh, I guess the first item in the field is the ERC standard interface for pods. We can just delete that now. Uh, and frankly, none of the stuff with the field is defined at the moment. Um, so it's hard to talk about substantively, but there are a couple issues with the field in terms of, uh, you have two things here for the soil multiplier. Uh, they could probably be condensed into one thing, but it doesn't really matter. But the question is, currently soil is a function of delta B, uh, but there's a question as to giving like some weighting or a multiplier to that uh, based on a coefficient where the, that may change depending on the debt level, for example. Uh, similarly, there's an open question as to how to best measure changing demand for soil over time. And 
then there's a question as to changes in the temperature and how those should be scaled depending on the, the temperature and the pod rate and yada yada. And then perhaps most compelling is the introduction of downside reflexivity in the temperature where uh, if even if the temperature rises very slowly uh, as it currently does and may even be changed to rise more slowly in the future, uh, there is an interesting idea to have the temperature decrease much quickly, much more quickly. And that's probably the most important aspect of silo 3.0, or excuse me, field 3.0, uh, but haven't, haven't really had a chance to sit down and think about what that would look like in earnest. And it'll probably end up being considered in line with like a lot of the peg maintenance updates, including the gauge system and uh, all of that good stuff. So don't have too much to add at the moment, but uh, the field has a couple, couple problems or inefficiencies and the hope with field 3.0 would be to tire and all of them out now it may end up being that they all get kind of scoped as different bips or different upgrades but for now it's just generally grouped as necessary upgrades to the field or potential upgrades don't mean to start a conversation uh, on this specific but do we still feel a need to reduce the temperature faster just given that even if the temperature is high the amount of soil anyways is capped especially but now it's even halved with the when we you know introduce the bit so it's but not above one per se well, but from an incentive perspective feel like it it really does help to have the risk of downward reflexivity in the temperature and that combined with the fifo pod harvest schedule should even further the incentive to create an efficient market for soil where uh there's not just a risk that the, you'll you'll be further back in line. There's now a risk introduced that the interest rate that you'll receive for lending to the protocol also can decrease dramatically. So something like that would actually, at the margin, uh, in theory, radically improve the efficiency in the soil market. And efficiency in the soil market is one of the, the main things that Beanstalk cares about. So definitely a, a supporter of this type of change, but have to think more about how it should work. Anything else on the uh, on the field before we move on to wells uh, two and three? No, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, kind of, it would be good to start digging into these items more. So maybe having more calls geared specifically towards you know the you know uh, designing these mechanisms more would be helpful. Um, it would be great to get some starting from the development perspective. Agreed. And that's why it's kind of too ridiculous to scope any of this for Q3. It's like, yeah, this ship should be done in nine months time. So maybe it ends up being Q3, but I kind of like leaving it as Q2. Let's, let's get the ball rolling here. Need more devs. Okay. Need more devs. We need, we need more well scoped work. <laughs> that, that too. <laughs> 
Uh, good problems to have. All right. Uh, so Wells 2, as it's currently scoped, I mean, the convert order book is actually going to be a function of tractor, so we can probably just delete that. And similarly, the bean LUSD silo whitelisting converts is like a little ridiculous to have scoped out here specifically. So at least on this end, I'm comfortable kind of leaving it as Wells V2 and Wells V3 and leaving it generally undefined there. But maybe, uh, Publis, you've got more strong opinions here. I agree with the general define here. Just would put, uh, you know, I think for the convert order book side of things, it's, you know, yes, a convert order book could be implemented, uh, you know, through Tractor. Um, but would just say, you know, there could, there is a kind of differentiation between kind of convert as, you know, as being a part of the AMM where, you know, essentially, you know, you're converted as people are selling into you as opposed to automatically via third parties. And I think, you know, if, you know, when possible to combine the convert order book at the well level, it increases, you know, efficiencies and potentially toxic flow. Meaning people would be able to sell into the converts. Yeah, I mean, that, that's supposed to having people perform the sales into the AMM and then have the convert orders executed yeah. through tracker after the fact. Yeah. All right, I take it back. We add convert back. But we delete the BNL USD thing. Do we think it should go anywhere? Nah. Why not? Cause fuck them. <laughs> well, and and there's zero on-chain work required for that. Like in like given the you know liquidity well v1 generalized convert BDV and liquidity v1 generalized minting. You know, kind of adding new pools requires no uh, on-chain upgrades. And again, as Publius mentioned earlier, this is an on-chain roadmap. So what would be done on chain exactly? Like you're saying it wouldn't involve, it wouldn't it would require like a diamond cut transaction call. Transaction that whitelist an asset. Yeah, it wouldn't require a diamond cut call. But would still require a BIP, right? Well, as, as it's currently sure. implemented, but I guess like. Yes. Well, if it's scoped after governance two in the stock gauge system, then no, which it Fair. currently is in this list. All right, whatever. I'll uh, scrap it for now. For arbitrary curves, which as we've already discussed on this call is not so simple when it comes to integrating that with the silo. And so there is a lot of work that needs to go into thinking about how to implement that if at all at the beanstalk level and obviously the goal is to support that but the, it, it's very much unclear how that will work at the moment when it is done it will probably require a whole nother upgrade to the silo as well to go along with that so you know just be aware this is a bigger thing than it's currently defined as and maybe from that lens it makes sense to just shift these to q3 um given the amount of work that will have to go into them. Sounds good here. 
And then with Wells v3, which is currently listed as Q4, although who knows when when this actually gets implemented, is that the well should should basically support uh, discrete uh, curves. I guess is sort of an oxymoron, uh, but uh, the the axes over which things are bid should should be not just continuous curves, but uh, discrete functions, and then uh, also n dimensions. So you can bid on a bunch of different assets along a variety of different curves and I think that the way wells have been generally scoped will facilitate this sooner rather than later but the the real open questions are around integrating that with beanstalk and the silo and all of that is very much undefined at the moment so uh yeah we'll we'll kind of push push that to the side for now or kick that can down the road a little bit Sounds good here. All right. So unless people have questions or things to talk about, that's really all of the beanstalk development that's currently scoped out on our end. Uh, there are a couple questions listed and then some derivatives markets, which we're happy to spend a little bit of time on. But maybe before we move on to the questions and other stuff, uh, if people have anything they wanted to talk about on the beanstalk front, now's a good chance. Just for my edification, could somebody like explain to me what tractor is? Tractor is a peer-to-peer decentralized uh, permissionless on-chain transaction market where multiple parties can, you know, basically engage in some sort of collective on-chain activity. Um, does that make sense? I mean, okay. I think the prime examples Sweetheart beans that resonated with me were giving permission somewhat for someone else to plant your earned beans above some threshold. Uh, you know, allowing someone else to transfer your pods or some other contract to transfer your pods, which would be sort of the, uh, you know, could be like a future version of how pods are exchanged rather than the existing pod yeah. market. Oh, okay. That that makes sense. Thank you. Paying someone to convert on your behalf up below some threshold, etc. Likely. What else is on the line? Sure, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to move us forward. That's find that hard to believe. Probably one of the best, the first implementations of Tractor 
will be you know kind of uh, a pod marketplace v3 which functions exactly the same as the existing pod marketplace but you know you can use underlying deposits in exchange for pod you can trade deposits at whatever you want to whatever rate you want um it allows a very generalized way you know to create markets between any any assets in any kind of generalized uh you know fashion um and so you know the the for the goal of tractor is to you know allow create an off-chain order book you know to uh, allow the exchange of you know any derivatives and likely will you know start you know by working with you know pods deposits fertilizer you know kind of marketplace for all these things everything that pod marketplace v2 can do tractor can do through its generalized work state everything OpenC can do with Seaport, Tractor can do with this generalized framework. So, you know, there's plenty of things for Tractor to do. Is this related to the to convert order book or is that something else entirely? I'm like trying to take a guess at what that is based on what it's called. I but. So it, this is the on-chain convert order book. Tractor is an off-chain convert order. And why have both? Off-chain order books are a lot easier, and there are you know on-chain order books aren't necessary for everything. Um, you know there are a few reasons to have order books on chain. Uh, you know proof of value is the biggest one. Uh, you know on-chain order books to you know prove that this thing is worth at least this because liquidity exists in this market. Um, you know, kind of off-chain order books. <clears throat> the order book itself obviously isn't on-chain, so there's no way for the blockchain to know, or you know, <clears throat> any <clears throat> on-chain program to know what something is worth in an order book. Um, another case is for uh, you know ex execution-level automated flow, like in convert order book v2, where kind of converts themselves our liquidity positions, our orders in some on-chain market which allows people to transact directly against them. Um, and I guess perhaps it could still be done through Tractor. And, you know, but yeah, I mean, it could be done through Tractor. But if the convert order book needs to be leveraged on chain for some kind of proof of value, which I guess, you know, would just be more efficient than allowing it, than not having it be. But the main reason to put, the main reason to put markets on chain is to create provable value on chain. Well, in this front, uh, just a question that came to mind. When are stop loss orders scoped to be added to Wells? Is that part of Wells V1 or, or is that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be scoped anything. I think, you know, the determination about, you know, I, I think that's, you know, what, what, what was described earlier as Wells V2 is a completely different direction of experimentation from what the stop losses are. Um, you know, kind of, I think it, it's, you know, kind of Wells V1 allows for single liquidity position representation, uh, right? So, so it's an ERC-20 token, but, you know, a Wells framework that supports, you know, arbitrary deployment of liquidity across, you know, uh, price ranges, you know, in, you know, kind of single-sided directional 
um, is another direction that Wells needs you know to uh, go into. Um, but and it's you know kind of unclear to what level you can get an intersection between the two. Um, you know, kind of so, like. And so with the, with this in fight. mind, I I feel like. I feel like we probably do want to scope the stop loss orders into V1 or at least like V1.1 where there is probably lots of other stuff that's going to be dependent on the use of stop loss orders sooner rather than later. Whereas upgrading the wells yeah, to V2 we to seems like a, can you repeat that? It would have to be a full new version. Um, you know, the current, the, and you know, there are reasons for this, but it would be, it would be, a new, it would be a new protocol altogether. And you know it could implement very much of the same same work framework, or we could rescope the current well. But the current well is defined as a single on-chain liquidity position represented with an ERC twenty token. So to change that to be some discrete position represented through a different token, personally feel like it's a different version altogether and a whole different protocol. Um, it can be implemented with very much of the same underlying functionality. But you know, I think just in general, some more discussion about what you know, what the divergence between the different paths, and you know, tying everything together. I mean, all these things kind of warrant follow-up conversations. You know, spent individually talking about the the specifications of all of them. Right. So then maybe the thing to do is, like, where Wells V two is scoped, we just like add another line, uh, that is like stop loss order wells or something, and then we can. I mean, I would almost say have the same stop loss or hmm, stop like like the existence, the the generalized <clears throat> pricing function is more a one point one, where the discrete like that's almost a beanstalk upgrade, you know, uh, like the interface doesn't have to change in order to do that. It's just a matter of just solving you know kind of a, a logic problem to determine whether it's even possible with without creating a you know without executing inside of an isolated virtual environment. And, you know, I guess if the answer is the latter, then it's, you know, it, it probably makes sense to, to do last. But if the answer is the former, then it makes sense to do first, where it's possible to do inside of a shared execution environment. Yeah, I mean, on this end, I feel like there's a need for stop loss orders within like. Yeah, so I think doing the stop three to six months, sense, but it is a it is a full new it is a full new version. Yeah, do it that way you will. I mean, we're, so how do we want to write that up within this within this document? But it's it's yeah. I mean, unclear. I mean, personally, I would say the V two is the stop losses. But I think what you described as V three, what did you do? Like the like this. <clears throat> yeah, I guess the question is: Is there n dimensionality at this level? Like, ideally, the answer is yes. <clears throat> But that drastically increases the scope of the project. So you know, uh, the, there's a lot, you know a lot of thought to it. It really needs a lot of a lot of thought. You know, discussion needs to go towards determining how difficult are each of these individual things to do. Um, yeah, I mean, so maybe now, just for the purposes of bookmarking this for the future, we just can we just like add another line in Wells 2 and say stop loss and then we'll just, we'll have what, to, what, to talk. Wells 3, talk you said was what? Uh, 
n-dimensional wells and discrete and continuous axes. That's what it says on the on the the notes on the right. Why? Yeah, yeah, got it. Got it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be, it's some, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board here. <clears throat> and to your point, it probably does make sense to, over the next, like, couple weeks, just have, like, a, a, a dedicated call to go through each of these different things, the ERC standards, the farm upgrade, the silo V3, the gate system, the governance, the field, the wells, a lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. All right. Anything else? I, I got to hop soon. Before... Go ahead. Oh, I just got to hop soon. Yeah. So with with that in mind, just to talk briefly about the questions. So most of the questions are just related to peg maintenance and how the system should treat the steady case for demand for soil and things like that. Uh, just it's good for where the, the open questions are, but don't really have much to say at the moment uh, on any of these, but it's just highlighting where there's the potential for for more improvements to be made and interseason peg maintenance is totally undefined. Uh, the trigger for demand for soil has been worked on already a lot, but there's it's still not not really good. Uh, there's an open question as to whether there's a need for a steady case for demand for soil at all. Uh, and then as we talked about earlier on the call, the stock bonus for converting, depending on time between crosses and all those are sort of undefined, but lots of open questions to think about at the moment. And maybe just yeah, about like cross chain, cross, just throw cross chain up here how, uh, you know, when and if and what to move cross-chain. Uh, you said cross-chain, do you mean to L2 or to other networks? I just say cross virtual machines, any virtual machine. But Right, I like that. Who doesn't love a good cross VM? Uh, all right. So now to talk about the derivatives markets very briefly. Um, this is something that I think we've gotten a slightly better handle on uh, for a and also uh, there's a protocol that. I don't know if we're even able to talk about that. Some other members of the DAO have been working on around borrowing and lending. And the architecture here is still undefined, but all of these can basically be thought of as uh, components of the loan generation factory that we defined in our blog post a couple weeks ago. And then, yeah, there's not too much else to say at the moment other than hopefully this architecture will be 
better defined and articulated over the next month or two where as people want to roll out other types of markets on this framework, it'll become easier and easier. But at the moment, you can probably just bucket all the derivatives markets into a single like LGF type of bucket. Uh, but but it'll probably be implemented in a bunch of different stages in practice. So don't have too much color to add there, but that's what all this refers to. Any objections to making this public after I spend some time cleaning it up? Not on this end. All right, well, I guess we have a lot to talk about. Good problems to have. All right, Anyone folks. got anything before we hop? Good to go on my end. Definitely a lot to talk about. Um, I, I think we should probably do a session like this on middleware since a lot of these have some pretty significant implications, but should be good. Right.